You know, our industry is, is no different than many other industries in the fact that a lot of agencies don't really communicate and want you, the consumer, to really know what's going on behind the scenes, which unfortunately creates a atmosphere where people start guessing and reaching at facts. And it creates common myths. And we're going to break through some of those today because I think, and by the way, we're only doing part one, because I believe that common myths are a very, very big part of our industry, and we want to break through those to help the communication process, the understanding process for all travelers on this week's edition of Travel Evolved. It's Travel Evolved. I'm Mark Holloway. Welcome to the episode, everybody. I am excited. Going to be heading uh, to Denver, Colorado, pretty soon for a few months. This has been fantastic, but I'm really looking forward to getting to Colorado. I, it's, it's a great place to spend fall. Great place to spend the spring. <laughs> Not such a fun place for me. Personally, in the wintertime, I, I, you know, I, I grew up skiing since I was three years old, and I, I moved there for that reason. Haven't skied an awful lot in the last few years. Becoming a dad and, and my job just doesn't lend itself. So anymore, while I love to get a couple of trips in, I can get those in early. The cold of winter of Colorado, which is a pretty mild winter, by the way, it doesn't really excite me. So I'll be back here sometime uh, in early 2023 to work with this office out here, which is fun and exciting, but I'm really in, I'm looking forward to heading back to Colorado, and that's no myth. Um, <laughs> I had to do it. So anyway, I, this week, this is a fun episode. I, I enjoyed, I, I think, helping the team put this one together because we all have seen, primarily on social media, which is why we do so many episodes about social media and why it's so good and bad and and it's a paradox as i mentioned in in i think the second or first or second third episode because it really is it's a great place to get information but there's also a lot of really wrong information out there and i do think like i said in the intro that a lot of travelers start reaching and assuming some things and other people just kind of assume that that it's true yep we said it so everyone agreed with it and now it's become a myth it's become something that isn't actually true that a lot of travelers think is true. And I, I wanted to discuss some of these today. Like I said, there's enough you know, meat here to do at least two episodes. I'm going to push the other one back uh, for a while, maybe a year or so, because I want to see what the newer myths are that happen over the next year or so. So we're going to do another part to this, maybe in a third part, but at least two parts, I know for sure. There's some things I'm not going to address on this one we'll save for the next episode uh, that we do it on. But today we are going to talk about common myths because there are a lot of them out there. The reason I'm doing this episode primarily 
is because I believe that if we start to break down some of these myths and have some realistic expectations as to what does and doesn't happen in our industry, it's going to allow you guys to be a little a little more savvy, to be able to understand what's real, what's baloney out there on social media. And there's a lot of baloney out there. And there's a lot of real out there, too. But it kind of helps, again, bridge that gap between agency and and traveler, even a little bit between, I think, it, the traveler and the facility. If you kind of know what's real and, and what's just another traveler spouting off on what his or her opinion are or is, I think it's going to help you guys. And that's why I wanted to do this episode. This is one of those episodes I think is is important. I'm sure I'm going to say some things that not everyone's going to be thrilled with, but you know me. I'm going to say it anyway because I think it's important. It's important to not always paint this rosy, wonderful picture. I think this industry is rosy and wonderful. But when it comes to some of the things that are, I guess, the, the kind of ugly side to this industry, it's okay to talk about this stuff because the risk and the reward that you guys take should offset that ugly side. And that, that's why I think you guys do what you do. And I understand there are highs and lows with, with how the economy is, with what the pay rates, and therefore, obviously, what is reflected on the bill rate all comes to. All that's important. But if you understand some things that I think might make you angry that you shouldn't be angry about because they're just not true, I think it's going to help. So I'm going to do some defending of some of us agencies. You guys know I don't normally do that. I'm pretty open about beating up what I believe we don't do well uh, from our side of the industry, and I think there's a lot there. I think this is going to be an episode that I, that I hope will will shed some light on some things and make you guys have a better understanding. I think most of you that have watched this series from episode number one have a pretty clear understanding of this. But I do this episode because I, you know, just to kind of fine tune it. And also there are people that just don't go back. And I wish you guys would go back because you'll you'll understand the way I speak and, and the language and terminology that I happen to use a little bit better. So, hey, I appreciate everyone that's been joining us live on our Facebook groups that we're doing that every uh, Monday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We may switch up those hours a little bit to allow some folks that are, uh, that are you know, in a certain, you know, if you're a, if you're a night traveler and it's after 7 p.m. and you're there often, it's hard for you to catch those. I get it. So we're going to try to mix it up a little bit. We may start to do it a little bit more sporadic, but we're at least going to try to do a couple times a week. I don't know if we're going to do like a planned thing like we've been doing because I, I just, like I say, it's, it's just kind of here we are. If you're on Facebook, I think you get a notification that we're live. I'd love you to join us. Uh, we had a couple of people that sent me some questions that we're going to handle. Uh, but they didn't want to do it, you know, live because they were you know, on their phone. Or one guy said he was driving, but he he texted it to us later and sent me an instant message, which you can also do as well. Uh, so anyway, when we get back to Denver, we're going to have a lot of uh, of guests on. We've got some already scheduled. Um, we haven't recorded those yet, but we're going to hit them pretty fast because we've kind of been remiss on getting those uh, those those folks on uh, that have some really good things and some good topics to tell. Some of you guys are travelers, and some that we've also arranged that some experts in, you know, not only our industry, but experts in things that involve our industry as well. So the reason for this episode, like I said, is to help you guys understand what is reasonable to expect from, I think, mostly agencies. There's a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit about, about facilities and hospitals, but I want you guys to have a, a realistic expectation of what you can expect from an agency. And I think when we talk about some things that many travelers think are just gospel and truth, and I tell you that they're just not, I think it'll be helpful. We'll find. It is, like I said, oftentimes mostly what I read on Facebook groups and pages that just seems to be a little bit off. 
as far as the you know what really is accurate. Some things I go, yeah, that's kind of true, but there's a little bit more to this than what I'm seeing this group of travelers you know talk about. And you guys have seen it. There's like a piling on effect sometimes that someone has a comment that isn't quite exactly right, and 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 it's not their fault. They don't always know because many of you guys have never worked as a recruiter, for example, for an agency. Some travelers do do that. It, it oftentimes makes people kind of go, oh, I didn't realize that. And then there's a piling on, like, oh, my gosh. And I can see it, like, getting worse and worse. I'm going, it's not even right. It's not even accurate. This is not what I've experienced in almost 23 years. So that's part of it. But I, I do understand it. Like I said, I, I think I said it in the intro, our industry has a, a hidden agenda to it. And a lot do. I mean, I'm not trying to sound... You know, like I said, cloak and daggery or, or, you know, conspiracy theorist, if that's a word. But our industry is built up where in my time in the last 23 years, it is on purpose that agencies tend to like to keep a traveler as much in the dark as they can get away with and still have them work for them, if that makes sense. And I don't, again, that sounds terrible, but you really think about it. You guys have to ask for breakdowns and better communication and and more understanding on almost every aspect of your contract, your agreement, whatever it is that you sign in order to go to work for that facility, it's oftentimes not very clear. And that's not on accident, by the way. That is done by design because agencies really don't want you to understand how much money they're making, and they don't want to understand what you're risking should something go wrong or awry on the assignment. And oftentimes, most of you guys don't know what's going to happen until you, in fact, have something go wrong, and then you learn sometimes the hard way, which is why we do episodes that we've done to kind of help break down some some things about contracts. We're doing some of those coming up, more and more of that. It's very, very important. But what I'm getting at is that our industry is kind of, I don't want to use the word secretive, but there is a specific design to communicate with you guys only what agencies want you to know openly how great it is how much money you're going to make and just take for example when when people post onto a facebook group a really really high pay package but they neglect to tell you that along with this pay package that's so high your cost of living including mostly your housing is going to be astronomical as well that's a great example of what i'm talking about it's always the good and the sales aspect of it and very rarely is it hey by the way you know be careful because this looks attractive, but you, know, you really have to think about it. I mean, of course, they're not going to say that. They're salespeople. They want you to jump in the assignment and then, you know, get roped in, then, you know, threaten to put you on a blacklist if you don't take or fulfill the assignment, even though you just found out that your housing's through the roof. It's just one example of the, the incredible amount of things that I'm talking about in our industry that I consider what I would say secretive. So this is why the episode is, is what it is. But I understand it, I and mean, this is not—I'm not blaming anybody for the things I'm about ready to outline. I'm not pointing fingers or, or, or ridiculing or making fun of any traveler out there who thinks some things because I get it—it's not very clear. And so that's what we're doing today. I, I think I made that point really clear. All right, let's start off with the, the biggest one. I've seen this a lot, and I, it basically—the it, idea is that agencies are making a ton of money off of you specifically individually. I've seen as much as agencies make 50% of the bill rate. Now listen, here's the first thing I'm going to tell you. If agencies were making 50% into their pocket of a bill rate, that agency's 
pay package or offer to you guys would be so ridiculously low that every single other agency's offer would make it pale in comparison and you guys would not work for them. It's simply not true. I do not know of an agency that has a margin that is 50% of the bill rate. It may look that way to you. And I understand what my disappointment has made, why it does, because you may find out what the bill rate is. You know, some agencies will tell you because we think transparency is important and you understand exactly what an agency is making. And I think there's a value that we provide for a legitimate amount of that piece of pie or that margin. But 50% is not what any agency that I know of is making. I've seen some people really stretch it. I've seen and watched travelers take assignments during the pandemic that looked like they were paying incredibly high, and they were, but what they weren't seeing is how much the agency was making, and some of those got ridiculously high. And, and I know because I had travelers at those same facilities, and they were making great money, but they were telling me what other people were making. We're like, oh, my gosh, how did that agency get away with paying that traveler that? And they were mad when they saw what other people that you know were getting paid a legitimate part of the pie we're making. It just doesn't make sense. But agencies don't make 50% of the pie. I'm going to use an example here, and I'm going to try not to get my my uh, speed of speech going too fast. I get worked up and I talk quickly sometimes. If I use a, an example of, of a $100 bill rate, there aren't agencies that are making $50 an hour on you. That's That's a myth. It just doesn't happen. If it does, that agency would never make it. What it looks like is if you take a look at what your, I've seen travels do this, they just simply take their hourly taxable rate. That's, that's mistake number one. They forget about the housing. They forget about the tax-free stipend that they were being offered. So number one is sometimes they look at just what their taxable hourly rate is, and they forget about the benefits. They forget about the travel reimbursement. They forget about their housing reimbursement. They forget about their meals and incidentals. They do forget about the credentialing expense, but that could be considered agency margin or not, depending upon how your agency works. That's mistake number one, but it's actually really pretty uncommon. Most of you guys realize that there's more to your total compensation than just an hourly taxable rate, that everything is part of it. And when you get paid a travel reimbursement, that's part of your compensation. When a company is paying for your particular portion of your insurance for you or for potentially your, your children, your spouse, or your entire family, depending on what their, what their, um, what their policy is and what their, what their compensation package is, that's part of your compensation too. But the biggest things people forget about is, again, I always mention this, a lot of vendors, for those people that don't have direct contracts, and most you know, agencies that are under you know, 1,000 travelers do pay a vendor fee. Even some of the big ones work with some of the other big guys because they want more jobs and more opportunities. Of that $100, should say $100 bill rate we just discussed, $5 or 5% of that goes right off the, off the bat. That's given to a vendor which is not a lot. That agency, you still have $95 to work with. But what I want you guys to hear is that instead of being $50 an hour, already at 50%, which no agencies are, that would take it all the way down to $45 an hour, which is still a lot of money. And like I said, no agency is doing that. The biggest one is that what you guys oftentimes don't think about is agencies calculate how much they're going to have to pay Uncle Sam and I say Uncle Sam because I'm talking about not only federal government but also state and local taxes on your taxable income that we're paying you through payroll. There is no burden. None of that exists for a legitimate meals incidentals rate and a travel reimbursement if they do it the right way and housing. That is a straight pass-through. So this doesn't apply to those categories. But there is a payroll tax and it has to do with what state, what county, what city you're living in. It, it, it varies. 
for the tax burden a company is going to pay on your taxable income only. Which means it's kind of one of those slices of pie, as we talk about on the pie episode, that doesn't go to you. It doesn't go to the agency. It goes to our government, and it goes to both you know national and federal government, I should say. It goes to state. It goes to local. It's done through your payroll company. They take care of that for us, and they go ahead and they and they send those 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 monies off to those different institutions. You don't see it. We don't see it, and it varies. Obviously, we, I'm not going to throw out a number here, but it is a substantial amount. It's a, it can be high, and the thing that is that lately with the with rates being higher than they have been in the past, I'll go back two years. Keep in mind. Let's say you were. Let's just say your total compensation was hundred dollars. I'll just use that as my my figure for the day. So I was just talking about much higher than a hundred dollar bill rate in this example. But if your total compensation during the the, the you know the pandemic was hundred dollars, and that let's say fifty per, well, it's not gonna be of that. There's still a very finite amount of money that an agency could allow you to take tax free for meals and incidentals and for housing, which means. The higher that bill rate is and the higher your total compensation is, the more of that money that is taxable. You, they can't just make more tax-free because they want to with a snap of a finger. I know there's some agencies out there that do that, but they shouldn't be, which means more of that is taxable, which means an agency has to pay higher and higher fees based upon higher and higher compensations. When the rates drop down and your total compensation drops down, the tax-free amount still stays the same. I know there's some some nuances between seasonality, but that actually affects your your net gross to net higher better. You're making less money, which means the total amount of money that's tax free remains consistent and becomes a larger piece as your total pay package shrinks. If that makes sense, which means you're getting taxed less, which means you're giving Uncle Sam less, and you're keeping more in your pocket. When it's really really big, like it was a few years ago. A lot of that was going to the government. We weren't seeing it, you weren't seeing it, but it did affect your total, the total amount of money companies were making because they had to encompass that into their margin calculators, which means they're not taking that as their 30%. That is above and beyond the top end margin, which means they're calculating that in, calculating that in first before they're quoting you a rate. In other words, the more they pay you, the more they're paying Uncle Sam, tax taxable, right? The more they're paying you taxable, the more they're paying Uncle Sam, the less they're going to give you, but the less they also make. So it does. It looks like I'm only making this amount of money. For those of you that actually calculated how much you were making, you know, total compensation, including meals and housing, based upon what you found out the bill rate was, it might look like it was 50% or close to that, but there could have been a huge tax burden that the agency had to pay. And trust me, we're not going to eat that because that would make our margins almost nil. And so no agency does that. It's always calculated before an agency figures out what they feel they need to make uh, on that pie excluding the vendor fee, if there is one, excluding the tax burden that they're paying on your taxable income. I hope I explained that right. It should make sense to you. And again, as rates go lower, as your compensation dips, that's not a good thing for you guys. You'll be paying less taxes, but your total compensation is, is less. But it's part of it. You know, it is it is where that that money goes. And it looks like they're making a crazy amount of money. But they're really, really not. It is... Part of that, you know, that fee that agencies take, and I guess we'll, we'll we'll pause here to kind of walk through why. And I've done this many times, but what an agency is basically doing is saying, okay, here's what our total bill rate is. Here's as we change and play around in our in our own individual, like what we call margin calculators. 
as we increase the bill rate, it increases the total taxable rate that the traveler's making, it's going to increase our tax burden on that. So they play around with it to get to their sweet spot or their sweet area for some agencies that have kind of a, a, a margin of what they are will, is the lowest they'll go to what they, is the highest they'll go. And that's how they calculate what they're going to offer you. And that's how it is um, what a recruiter oftentimes will decide whether or not what the offer is going to be once they have that margin. Some agencies are here it is. This is what we offer. It's a certain percentage boom. Um, more and more agencies do that sliding scale. So there you go. It is it is part of that whole um, what's the word I'm thinking for? It's part of that whole pie and part of the reason why I think that's and I spent a lot of time on that, but that's one of the biggest misnomers. Here's what I will say to qualify us, and I'll talk a little bit more about it in the end. An agency can't be making too much on you individually. And that's, I think, the biggest myth. Now, good agencies that have a whole bunch of you make a lot of money because they've done a good job by hopefully attracting you whatever way that they're attracting you. I would hope that it's because they're compensating you and their margins are thinner or there's some reason they have the jobs that you want. But if they're doing things properly, agencies do make a lot of money. I am not discounting that. I'm just telling you that in my what I see in the misnomer and the myth is they're not making a huge amount of money on you specifically. But I will tell you, I think the industry is making too much on you specifically than what they used to, if that makes sense. Okay, here's one that I really, I, I really like talking about this one because it's really interesting. And that is that we could just all bypass the agency and go to work directly for the hospital. That's that's a true statement. I'm not I can't argue with that. The problem with that myth, and by the way, some hospitals try this periodically. We're gonna figure out our own way. There's some that are successful in some seasonal locations that actually do have kind of a pool of travelers that come down every season, at least they used to. Uh, it may be dissipated now because of just the I'm thinking of Florida, for example, because of the amount of of travelers that actually are going there year round. But here's why hospitals struggle with doing that and why it's difficult. Number one is they don't necessarily have the manpower or they want to um, dedicate expenses and payroll to have internal recruiters begin to recruit for what's called a tr for a travel assignment. That's the one benefit that, that they have of us is that they feel and see that we are in fact the ones that are, that are that's what we're that's what we're paying for. That's part of the margins we make. We're we've incorporated and absorbed that expense of the recruitment process for temporary assignments. It oftentimes doesn't make sense for a hospital, or usually doesn't make sense for a hospital, to have their internal recruiters who are trying to staff permanent also switch gears and start to try to staff for temporary or travel or even per diem to compete with those per diem agencies that are in towns that have per diem options. It just doesn't make sense. It's an expensive option for hospitals. So we're necessary in this cog for that reason. I've often said, and this time I'm going to be redundant, but I say it all the time, that our ability to be able to float payroll is one of the biggest benefits we offer the, the facilities. In other words, we're paying for your salary and your benefits and your housing and your, you know, potentially part of your travel. Every single Friday, most agencies pay weekly. We've billed the facility sometime earlier that week, usually by Mondays when you send your timesheets in or we get them uploaded. So they're floating that pay. They don't pay us right away, which I'll talk about here in a second. It's a six-week to eight-week sometimes process. 
which means that they're getting that benefit of that payroll being floated for a long period of time. And oftentimes it allows them to collect from patients if they are if there's a direct bill, their portion of that bill, insurance certainly, Medicare, Medicaid. It allows for them to basically float a payroll, which there's they're, they're saving money, they're saving cash flow, allows them to pay for other things. In other words, they're getting paid as they're paying for that labor, which is in fact you guys. In a normal staff setting, they're paying for that staff and that labor. I don't care if it's somebody that's you know working you know outside and or something maintenance to somebody who's a doctor. They're paying for that every day, and they're, then they're billing the insurance companies almost like the way we do it with them. They're having to float and that payroll themselves. So this gives them a break from that. That's another reason why hospitals don't like using travelers. They don't like using per diem nurses. It is a more expensive overall option for them. And it does save some money sometimes with scheduling, especially the per diem issue. But when it comes to travel, it is typically one of the most expensive and last choices the hospitals have to make in order to get their staff and not to divert patients. But there is some upside, and many you know, smart CFOs, CEOs of facilities understand that this, while it seems expensive, does keep a revenue stream going through their facility. And being able to float that payroll is a slight benefit to hopefully offset a little bit of that cost that they're experiencing. Uh, th- one of the things I just thought of when we were doing this episode, as I said, you know, it, it also does kind of keep that facility a little bit at, at an arm's length from the traveler. In other words, if you're being recruited by a recruiter at that facility to work, you know, for a season, let's say down in Florida, you, you kind of feel like, well, you are. You're an employee of that facility, and I think it, it kind of brings bridges that gap a little closer. It may be beneficial for the traveler, but I don't think hospitals like that because when it's time to let you go or the season's over or if they have to terminate you, it's it, you are now a direct employee of them as opposed to just terminating a traveler, which we all know they can do very, very simply and easily. So it keeps you guys at an arm length, a little tiny side benefit. But it's it's basic, basically it is there are a lot of reasons, mostly the expense and the manpower, that having a hospital just work directly with a traveler doesn't typically work. I bet there are a few facilities and systems out there you guys could all point to that actually do do that. I think some of them do a good job and are actually successful at it, but the majority of facilities are not set up for that. So currently, as I'm recording this episode, it's not an option for many, many facilities, which means it's a myth that you can oftentimes just go work directly for a facility. I've had travelers that are smart that can do that, but I will tell you the travelers that, that attempt that, they have to sometimes float their own payroll, meaning they, meaning they don't get paid for a while. They can negotiate a little bit faster, but it's a lot of hard work. And I've, I have talked to travelers that have done that, where they've actually contacted directly the hospital for you know periods of time. And they've been successful. But in the long term, they end up giving that up because it's so difficult because they have to recruit themselves and spend a lot of time actually looking for a job. And that's, again, where you know the evil empire, and I call us that, sometimes the agencies do serve a very good purpose for travelers. We get the job done, and we get it job, job done quickly, and we give you options. So there's a good benefit, and it works in our system currently, right? Point I'm making on all of this is that it's really difficult for a facility to recruit temporary travelers or per diem, tra- per diem nurses and allied professionals directly. It's really, really difficult. All right, next one I want to talk about. I've had people say frequently how, how much money recruiters make. This is a tough one for me to answer because they're right. There are a lot of recruiters that make an incredible amount of money doing what they do, which is to convince you to take a job with them and to stay with them. 
And I think the ones that make a lot of money are really good at it. And again, it's a sales aspect. I'm, I am not going to sit here and say that they're terrible people. They're not. They're good people. A lot of them are, there's a lot of great recruiters out there. I know I sometimes, I don't like the recruiting mechanism in general. I think it's, it's, it's archaic and I think it's inefficient and ineffective. And I think it, there's so many things that are wrong about the current way things are done. It drives me crazy. And I don't understand why more travelers don't kind of openly say, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But that being said, a good recruiter, a good recruiter makes a lot of money. That is true. That is not a myth. There are recruiters out there that every year, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, during the pandemic, are making more money than you than you do. And last time I looked, you're the one who's who's healing. You're the ones that's saving lives. You're the ones that are bringing lives in. You're the ones that are making difference. You're di- diagnosing, you know, areas of the body that are going to help somebody. It's to me, it's almost kind of it's ironic, I guess is the nicest way I can put it, that a really solid salesperson, I meant recruiter, can make more money than a great traveler. It just doesn't seem right. But there's that's not indifferent from a lot of other headhunter type businesses where if you're great at finding, you know, chief financial officers for Fortune 50 companies, you could be making a quarter of a million dollars a year and sometimes those men and women don't make that. But if you're great at it, you make a lot of money. It's no different. But here's the myth. Most recruiters, first and foremost, this is a a revolving door industry for many recruiters. To stereotype a little bit, it is a typically it, the majority of recruiters, I should say, at least 50% of them are in their 20s and 30s from what I've seen. All you have to do is go to a convention or all you do is call you know, an average company and say, I want to speak with your recruiter and then ask the person their age. You'll see what I'm talking about. I do believe that the older you get, the more established a recruiter you are and probably the better you are and probably also the more money that recruiter is making. Again, sweeping statement. I don't mean to make anybody upset, but the chances of you're working with a recruiter in their 40s or 50s they're probably making more money than the average recruiter, which means you got a good recruiter, but know that they're a good recruiter and they make a lot of money and may make more than you. The reason I'm saying that is that it is a myth that recruiters make a lot of money. A lot of recruiters don't make it. A lot of recruiters struggle. Their job is to create a persona or, or become the persona of somebody that you want to work positions through, regardless of the agency that they work for. That's their job is to attract you and to get you to, again, like I've said many, many times, to take an assignment that hundreds and hundreds of agencies and thousands of recruiters have, but to choose them over everybody else because of their tenacity or because of their salesmanship or because you just hit it off well with them. And there are a lot of travelers that really hit it off well with a recruiter. I see you guys defending them all the time out there, and kudos to you for doing so. You got a good one there. However, the opposite side is I see just as many, if not more, people beating the garbage out of a recruiter and posting texts that that you that have you know that people have texted them and showing how how ruthless they can be or how uncaring they can be. So it's really a 50-50, and you're hoping that you find one of the good ones, and maybe you got a 50-50 shot at that. I don't know, but the myth that all recruiters make a lot of money, no. A recruiter is usually compensated on a base salary. It usually depends upon what that market. You know, there's definitely a difference between someone who's working out, let's say, in the Bay Area of California as a recruiter and someone that's working down in Mississippi as a recruiter. Sorry, maybe the last helicopter of the of the season going by here. There's going to be a difference in their base salary in those two locations because the cost of living is different. 
You've got different compensation plans for commission, but all recruiters, I mean, I don't know of a company that bases their recruiting model solely on a salary. I think it would be good if they did, but I don't, I've never seen one. They have to motivate recruiters, and they're trying to motivate them to be better, which means a lot of their compensation, if not the majority of their compensation, is based upon the money that they're making by the length of time or hours or margin or a combination of all of those that they get from you, the traveler. So that's how they're compensated. And then, of course, they have benefits that they're, they're getting, you know, being given directly from that agency. So they've got insurance as well, maybe 401k plan, all of that. But that's why it's a revolving door, is that if you wonder why your recruiters keep disappearing from the company, it's because you keep getting some of the new bio recruiters and maybe they're not making the, the, the numbers that their, their, their agency is requiring of them. I don't know what all the different answers to that are, but I've been in the industry long enough to know that, that not every recruiter and a lot of them don't make a lot of money because they're, they're starting out and they're not good or... You know, they're just not, they're not, uh, they haven't been there long enough. So that's another myth. Okay, so let me kind of get to some of the other stuff I want to talk about. I said this earlier, and I, I, I'm going to repeat it, I guess, basically. I have seen many travelers in the last few years talk kind of nonchalantly, although they'll incorporate it in some rant that they're going off of, and they're upset about. I don't know whether it's bill rate or their particular company. They always throw out the fact that, you know, these agencies are making money up front or right away. And then, you know, we're, we're, we're getting, you know, whatever the complaint was. What they're saying is that the agency is making their, they're getting paid right away. I've seen this more common in the last few years than I ever have. And it's just absolutely wrong. I don't know of an agency that gets to bill and get paid directly before or even remotely quickly after we pay you. It just doesn't happen. To kind of follow along on this, think about this. When you go to work for an agency, they are basically credentialing you up front, which is, I mean, so far last I checked, we're not billing for that. So there's no money coming to us. They're going to they're gonna credential you, which by the way, is not that expensive of a process, especially the bigger the agency is, the more Look, uh, I should say the, the better deal they struck with a background company or with a testing company, the more you use, the less it costs you per user, if that makes sense. So it's not a really complicated and expensive process, but there is some upfront cost. You are going to work for them on that first paycheck that you receive on that first Friday after you've worked your first week. The agency is going to pay you. They're typically going to throw in some sort of travel reimbursement, whatever their their particular model is. They're going to pay you. They're going to be paying the, the Uncle Sam and the, and the state and local fees that I talked about. They're going to be giving you housing, your portion, or whatever their whatever their deal is, and, and the meals and sales, that's all up front. They're going to, a few days earlier, like I mentioned, they're billing the facility. Now, they're going to do that for, let's just say, an average of six weeks. Benefits, I didn't mention that. I think I did. I don't know if I did or not, but they're, they're instantly be putting on benefits. Most agencies do first-day insurance, so they're paying for that. By the way, agents, insurance agencies love to bill us two and three months in advance. You, we'll, you know, we'll get a bill before the, the, let's just say it's September. We'll get a bill that shows October and even close to, as soon as like we get into October, they're already generating a November bill, and obviously... Many of you won't be working for that company. So they love, insurance companies love to pre-bill and, and pre-receive their money. And then we have to all go back oftentimes. I don't know how everyone in the agency works, but you got to go back and audit and say, this person's not with us and they credit you for those. It's a mess. 
but those fees are all taken out. So six weeks of that goes by. On week seven, let's assume, all of a sudden now we get paid for the first one, or more typically it's week eight and they pay us for two different invoices that we've sent, which means that they'll oftentimes pay the vendor and the vendor will take their 5% fee out and give us the remaining 95% of that. Now there is our margin built into that. So we're getting more money back than we paid all of those things, theoretically. Not necessarily the travel, because we haven't, we've only gotten our first two weeks, let's say, and not necessarily the benefit, because we're only getting two weeks, but there is a margin built in, which means while we're, while we're getting week, let's say now we're billing week nine, and paying you, I should say, we're paying you for week nine, we've got two weeks coming in. It doesn't offset the, the let's say most agencies 30%, and it's about 30% now for many agencies. That 30% on those two first invoices doesn't remotely cover your payroll and payroll taxes and the benefits for week number nine invoice. So if you follow this math, what I'm telling you is that if you really look at when agencies start recovering their money, typically it's the last two weeks. Again, depending upon where their margin is, a bigger margin company could be doing it in the last three weeks because they're making more money total off you over the entire, the entire assignment. But what I've seen is that it's 11 weeks go by of pay, not of you working. You are usually finished with that assignment on a new one with that company or an extending, but by the time they pay for that 12th and 13 week, which think about what I'm saying, that's 18 weeks. That is that many months. That's when those two basically invoices pay the agency their full profit and what they made for you. Now, I want to qualify this. I am not telling you it's a sob story. That's the industry we get into. I've told you guys many, many times that you guys become travelers because of the high risk and hopefully what is a, a good solid reward. That's the same reason agencies get in. There is money to be made, but it is risky. It takes that long for an agency to recover and then make their profit on you individually. Obviously, that's happening all day, every day. So they're making money every day. As you get to a certain point and you've got hundreds and hundreds of travelers with you working for you, the money going out doesn't matter. It's revenue coming in. And that's why I've repeatedly said, an agency with a lot of travelers, they do. They do make a lot of money. Not a myth. But to get there and they have to be there, it, it's, it's, it's hard work. So for those of you that like have said repeatedly are thinking about starting an agency, this is what you're looking at. It is not for the faint of heart. And there is just like in your world, there is a whole bunch of risk in order to start an agency and be a successful agency. It's a lot of cash flow. That's the biggest risk on our part. You guys are driving around the country, putting all your, your stock into an agency and a recruiter, hoping that what they've said if you go back, I think it was just last episode, the triangle of trust, you're putting a lot of faith and trust in the agency and hopefully it's paying off and you're getting what you're looking for. We are doing the same thing. So we are trusting everything and we'll get paid a lot of money. And that's why when people end an assignment early or they get terminated, that's why there is still profit built in, but it's substantially reduced. If you only finish 10 weeks, then you've got three weeks worth of that margin a company is counting on just got reduced, which means they're making less and less on you, which is why so many agencies have built in these tough, tough languages about terminations. That's why so many agencies, I mentioned a few weeks ago, will blacklist or blackball you because they don't want that. They want I'm sorry, travelers that will finish the 13-week assignment and make the money for that agency that they are expecting to make off of you and off of your sweat and off of your risk. There's no two ways around it. I can't sugarcoat it any other way. I hope that was a, a good explanation of what I'm talking about. It is we are not being paid up front. 
I'd love to see agencies that do, and and maybe I am I, I would stand corrected because I'm I'm almost guessing that there's some agencies that have some sort of a of a deal with a hospital or two, potentially that does in fact pay them money up front. But it's it is a it is an absolute myth that that is what happens with our with our our in our industry. We have a lot of money out there on you, paid you individually a lot of money, and that's you know again hopefully a little bit of a justification while we make the money we make, but like I've said repeatedly, it should not be at the margins that it is currently. I've watched it eek, eek up, and the risk hasn't changed. So why has the margin increased? Makes no sense to me at all. Okay, another common myth. I'm going to phrase this the best I can, but it's that agencies always control the pay rate. There's a lot here. Yes and no. How's that for just a complete cop-out answer? Yes, agencies control what they're going to pay you, but it is always based upon the bill rate that they are given and are offered. Yes, there are some vendors that do allow us to negotiate. If there's a $100 bill rate and they've got maybe somebody with only a couple years' experience, they could throw out you know, maybe a $90 offer, which is shortchanging that traveler, but maybe there's a reason why and maybe the traveler is going to explain that they're going to go lower. I've never really seen it you know, become standard. I've also seen the opposite where you've got an excellent traveler, you know, gets put in at $110 on just a few vendors, by the way. And because the, the traveler's that good, but hospitals oftentimes will still, all, the same the reason why they won't take the lower rate, also will oftentimes not bite on the higher rate because they don't, they don't need anybody that extensive. They don't want to pay that kind of money. It's outside of their budget. So it goes both ways. But yes, agencies don't always control the rate. Here's the best way to answer it. There is a bill rate, as you guys know, and every agency out there takes that bill rate and they use those margin calculators I just discussed and decide what they're going to pay or offer you for that said job. Again, there's a few agencies out there that have a straightforward margin. I do believe that more and more of them are getting around the 30 percentile mark. There are also a bunch of agencies, if not the overwhelming majority of agencies, that have given their recruiters those calculation tools and has given them the leeway of saying, here's the percentages that we're allowing you to float between. In other words, let's just pretend and let's say we're going to allow you between 28 and 32% margin for us, the company, which means if a traveler is not going to take the job, I am allowing you to go down as low as 28% of that pie, which means the traveler is going to get the remaining amount, less the taxes, less the vendor fee, which is good for you, but you're going to make less commission as a, as a, as a recruiter slash salesperson. If you, the, the most I will let you pay a traveler is going to be this amount because we don't want you to, um, we don't want to be so overpaid that it hurts the rest of our team. So we're going to cap it at a certain amount and you're going to make more money, but we also are going to make sure the recruiters not gouging a traveler because they're never going to get a deal done. And I think most agencies worry about their reputation. So they will also cap it on the top end of an, of an agency's margin so that a recruiter doesn't, you know, go over that and, and be paid less by, by offering too much money to a traveler. 
or by offering so little to a traveler that it makes the agency look bad is what I really should say on that higher end. In other words, if the margin's at 35%, most agencies are like, no, 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 we don't want to make that much money because it's going to be uncompetitive and a traveler's going to get there if you convince him or her to take the assignment and then we're really going to be low and they're never going to work for us again. That's smart. So they do allow, most agencies allow recruiters some flexibility. And this is where the negotiation process, which is one of the things I hate the most about our industry, really comes into play. The better negotiator the recruiter is and the, the worse of a negotiator you are, the more money they're going to make, the more money the company's going to make, the less that you do. Like I've always said, it is an absolute sliding scale. The more money an agencies make on you, the less you make. There's no other two ways around it. So recruiters, I should say, they don't control the pay rates to a point. It is not a carte blanche that I know of from any company that a recruiter has complete say in what they're going to pay you. They are oftentimes, if not always, given a rate period, this is what it is, or they're given a small window that they are allowed to operate in. And maybe they don't make more money every once in a while, some of those agencies, but they're keeping an eye on where that recruiter falls in on that window, and they're going to talk to them about it if they're consistently giving away more of the pie than the agency is comfortable with. So they're going to look at that. But most of them are compensated heavier. In other words, they may make, I'm just using an example, 20% of what you're making weekly if they're at, you know, a 32% margin for the, for the uh, I'm sorry, if they're at a 28% margin for a company, but they go up to, you know, let's say 22, 23% of that if they go, if they make the company more money and they're at like a 32% margin. That's how it kind of works. They're going to make more money typically the better deal they strike for the company and the worse deal they strike for you than if they do the opposite. That's just the way it is. It's like, it's, it's not uncommon, but you guys don't think about that because you're, you're so busy you know, talking about how your recruiter calls you first, do they? Are you the first person they call? You know, you don't know that. You don't know that they're the first person. You assume that they are. Hey, I just got a job in for ICU in this area you're looking for. Was it earlier that day? Is it still even open? I already heard from another company that it was out there, but yet it's three hours later you're calling me, which is why, like I said earlier, the whole system is a little bit inefficient, very ineffective the way it works. It's the only way to do it up until you know, apps and things like that now. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. It just doesn't make, it makes no sense. But many, many, the majority of travelers, 99% of travelers still really love this way of doing things because they don't know any better. And it's, it's no different than any other new, new concept until you've tried it, 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 you're just hesitant. I get it, I understand. But it does cost you guys money because there's a whole recruiter in there. It's involved. It costs you time. There are some agencies that offer apps that do not compensate any differently, but it's easier for them. But it does, those ones that do just that, at least you're getting notification earlier and you can get in and it's more competitive for you. But I, I digress. We'll talk about that a lot coming up here. All right, so they don't. The bill rate, basically, you know, that, that agencies... Um, are oftentimes, I want to kind of back up and talk about the bill rate itself. Because we're not controlling the bill rate, everything is based upon that. So the bill rate is obviously based upon supply and demand. So remember that the first thing that happens before we even have a company negotiating what they're going to make and what they're going to offer you, the bill rate can fluctuate, which is what is upsetting travelers right now. Bill rates have dropped. Now they're kind of climbing back up or maintaining it. It's good. But when they were dropping, everybody on social media was blaming the agencies. I mean, just go back and look. You guys were a lot. You guys weren't. I know. 
a lot of travelers were blaming the agency, saying this is garbage. This, this is you know this is you know what. Many were saying, no, it's the hospital, but a lot of people were, were making the mistake, and it was the myth that it was all the agencies that were, that were lowering their, their pay rates. It wasn't. It was the facilities were lowering their offering bill rate, and then agencies were trying to continue to keep those super high margins that were so lucrative for them during a pandemic that it started to show up and look like bad rates, which it was a combination of the two. So always understand that any agency, whether they have high margins or low margins, Everything is predicated and based upon that bill rate, which does fluctuate. Go back and listen to supply and demand. It's all about the location, the attractiveness, the desperation of the need. It all fits. What does a hospital need to pay? And they're always going to pay and let us bill the lowest amount of money they can possibly bill to get the quality of traveler they need in their department that they're looking for. That's it. There's no other two ways around it. All right, here's kind of one that, I, this is going to make a couple of you guys upset. I'm sorry if I'm doing it, but I just wanted to talk bluntly with you. I do oftentimes see on every avenue, I don't care if it's an allied or a nursing group, I see a lot of travelers saying that we can turn around and change this industry. Now, in my opinion, I've said it many times here before, there's only one thing you guys really can control, and that is the agency in which you work that assignment through. That you have total control of. You can change this industry very quickly by refusing to work for companies that don't pay you appropriately. I think that's the biggest change you guys can make, and I, and I will speak out of both sides of my mouth by saying that you can control. But what you cannot control is other travelers, right? So while you're doing that and only working for agencies that pay a lot of money, some other unsuspecting traveler is still going to be working for a lower-paying company. Over time, that will make a difference. But what I'm really thinking about here is when travelers say, We're, let's none of us go to work for this facility. I've seen that on some of the facility type uh, groups that like to you know, openly discuss good and bad facilities. You may not want to work for that facility but because you had a bad experience and it may very well legitimately be a census by a lot of travelers that this facility is bad. However, there are going to be some people that regardless of whether or not that facility is bad are going to work for them because of proximity to where they want to be or where they live currently, the pay rate in which that facility is offering. A bad facility, supply and demand, oftentimes has a much higher bill rate because they understand that they have difficulty attracting travelers. No matter what agencies they're, they're offering this bill rate to, they've got to go higher. So there are people that will say, I don't care what the rest of this group is thinking. I'm going to go work for that facility. Same thing applies to agencies. You can say we're not going to work for this agency or this recruiter's bad, but just for everyone that you, every recruiter you beat up, there's you know a bunch of other travelers that don't know or are still saying, hey, I had a good experience with that recruiter. I'm going to keep working for them. So when I see people say we're we're not going to sign contracts that don't that have a a cancellation penalty, no. What you should be doing is not working for agencies that have things in their contracts that you don't like. They can change it. Um, that The changing the industry thing, I just want you to keep in mind that remember, you and maybe some very intellectual, articulate, very smart travelers agree that it needs a change. But the, what I'm trying to say is, will you really be able to get everybody to agree with you and will it become a change in the industry? Hopefully, I'd love to think it will be, but it's a little unrealistic. I do think, like I said, though, the one counter thing I'll say is I believe that quickly 
you can change an agency's philosophy on what they're going to pay you if you if you stop working for them. That does get out. If you're, you know, and it doesn't have to be what you're talking about on social media. I, that's up to you. But if an agency is continually offering low ball pay packages for assignments that other companies are offering higher, by natural selection, most people are going to choose to work for other agencies over that. And I do think that will change the industry. And when you've got concepts in place by agencies that actually allow you to consistently pay substantially higher, that, that's going to change the industry too. And it's going to hurt some of those really, really high margin companies that haven't figured out that they need to start being less greedy and start offering more. And they'll grow their company quicker if they're offering more money to the traveler as opposed to trying to make every nickel and dime off of each traveler themselves. So that's my little whatever. Another misnomer, I shouldn't say misnomer, another common myth I've seen periodically over the last few years especially is that agencies still get paid when a traveler is terminated or when a traveler backs out or no-shows or gets or walks off an assignment. I don't know where this came from, but I do see people kind of roundabout saying, and I know the agency is still going to be making money even though they fired me, or they're going to get a compensation of a couple, you know, 500 to $1,000 because I was terminated or I walked off the assignment. I don't see that. That's a myth. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. There are a lot of vendors that do their best to penalize financially an agency for you guys walking off. In other words, what they're assuming is that we have control over your aptitude and your work ethic or your clinical ability, that if you walk off an assignment, somehow we had control over keeping you on that assignment. Now, I understand the philosophy that the facilities and vendors want us to do everything we can to keep that from happening, which is why, by the way, those agencies put those really ruthless clauses in there because they don't want to get fined. And it's not us that creates them. It's the facility wanting to penalize us five to $700, sometimes they've seen even more. It's unrealistic for them to kind of come after the agency, but they do it anyway. So the agency in turn says, hey, not us. We're going to go after the traveler. So many of them put languages or attempt to put things in there that says if we get penalized, you for walking off the assignment is going to get penalized. And some do it very successfully. Most threaten you with being, um, like I said, blacklisted, so you're not going to be able to work for that agency anymore. They oftentimes will rightfully so tell you that you're not going to be able to work for that hospital or hospital system anymore. But what I don't see is us getting compensated for you guys walking off an assignment. That just doesn't happen. And again, I always qualify this. Maybe there's a hospital out there that's crazy enough to do that. Maybe there's an agency that's that powerful enough that they've gotten that. But I have yet to see any check or monies given to any agency I've been a part of in 23 years when you guys walk off or don't show up for assignment or you are terminated or whatever, the low census, assignment ended early. I have never had a check sent to me or a company that I represent or run that says, here's some money for that traveler because we feel bad. No way. Hospitals just don't do that. So it's a myth. I don't want to spend a lot of time with it. Most of you guys probably don't buy those, but it's amazing how oftentimes I see things like that. I'm getting penalized for walking off the assignment. They're going to take $500, but the hospital, I'm sorry, the, the, the agency is actually getting money off me. So they're a, they're a $1,000 ahead of the game. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I have never seen that in the history of my experience with any vendor or any hospital whatsoever. So... All right, so here's here's one thing that it kind of goes along with that. I've seen travelers say that the agencies have control and can dictate terms that the hospital or facility is requiring. 
Guys and gals, the bottom line is that we work for hospitals just like you do. I don't know too many agencies that have the power to walk away from a hospital or hospital system. Think about this honestly for a little while. We want that job. We want as many jobs as we possibly can get that we feel we're going to recruit for. Most good agencies aren't going to take jobs that are outside of their scope of work. I mean, if you're, if you're an agency that really, I don't know, specializes in Washington and Oregon, they're out there. They don't want to take jobs in the state of Maine or Connecticut. It doesn't make sense. They're not going to fill them. But for the most part, most of us agencies want every single opportunity to match up that puzzle piece with our travelers we possibly can, which means I don't care if it's an LTAC position, we'll take it, even though we don't have a lot of LTAC travelers. If it's a nurse anesthetist, most of us will take it, or a physician's assistant, because you just never know when a physician's assistant is going to walk in and want a job in this particular area. So we're greedy that way. But because we want those, most of us agencies are not going to tell a, a facility, no, we're not going to sign your contract if you've got you know, this penalty in there for, you know, for early termination or if you've got a floating policy or if you've got a nurse-to-patient ratio or amount of, of, of scans that are being done per day in a certain you know, radi radiology unit. None of us are going to complain or dictate to a facility what, they have in their contract, unless it's one of the really, really big companies, and they've got enough power that that facility knows if they don't appease the the agency or the or the vendor supplier, that they're not going to get any travelers. It's pretty rare, but I do see lots of times where they want you, the agency or the recruiter, to go out and and defend the traveler and get things put in the contract that the agency isn't going to be able to put in. And it goes back to the things that one of the things you guys are not going to like hearing, and it just bodes repeating here, your recruiter and your agency are typically not going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot for you because of that same rule when you get into a situation that you don't like, whether you're fired you know, for wrongful or legitimate, it doesn't matter. Part of the myth is that the agency is going to go to work for you, and I'm just here to tell you guys that I'd love to say that's going to be the case. I do think there are good agencies that do everything they can to salvage and try to help and make sure you're not blacklisted or not able to return to that stuff. But really, when it comes down to it, we're all grateful for the opportunity to work with that hospital system because for every one of you, there's hundreds of people that don't have an issue, just speaking honestly here, which you're not going to hear from anybody else. So we kiss their you-know-what because we want the opportunity. We don't like it any more than you do, and it's really difficult when you've got a great traveler and, let's say, a recruiter who has a great relationship and something has been done wrong to you, but the higher-ups are saying, yes, but we can't upset the apple cart. It's part of the ugly side of the industry I talked about very early on. It just truly is. I have, I have people that I know that are always constantly fighting for... Um, you know, to, to defend the nurse and, and to you know, really be an advocate for, for travelers. It's commendable and it, we need more of it in our industry. However, it is a very, very difficult, what am I trying to say? It's a very, very difficult thing for smaller companies to do when they're fighting tooth and nail to present you more opportunity. And at the end of the day, that's what most of you guys really want. More opportunity and more, more money for the opportunities you have. So it's just one of those things I just feel like I need to talk about that it's a myth that an agency is going to go out and fight tooth and nail for you 
when something goes wrong because oftentimes they're just not going to. Recruiter's going to sell you and pretend or give you the lip service you need or listen, advocate for you. But when it all is said and done, it's pretty rare where an agency is going to upset an entire hospital or hospital system with future business and future revenue because of one traveler. I hate to say it, guys, but this is why I hope you listen to me. It just isn't going to happen, which means you got to you got to play the game, which is why Again, those negative things that come with being a travel healthcare provider, I hope are so few that the money and the lifestyle and the things you guys love really offset that. I, I hope you guys appreciate the fact that I'm willing to say things like that, and I hope it brings more people to what we're doing because it's just the truth. And I think better communication like that is going to change the industry for everybody when you guys really kind of go into it eyes wide open and understand your career that you've chosen. and. All the things that go along with it. the more you understand, the better you're going to be, the more the more money you're going to make, the more profitable you're going to be, and hopefully the happier you're going to be. It is part of what what they, you know, what they what they don't want you to think about, but you really need to to make sure. Lastly, and I'll try to cover this quickly because I've covered this so many times, but I have seen where a lot of travelers will defend the lack of bill rate information or the lack of an of a agency telling you how much money they're making because a lot of travelers say, it's none of anybody's business what an agency makes. It's none of my business as a traveler what a bill rate is. I think this is not necessarily a myth. It's more of an opinion. You can have that opinion. I don't fault you for it. I just think you're shortchanging yourself because, like I said earlier on, you should know the bill rate. Your agency should openly tell you the bill rate. If they're not, the answer, the question you should be asking is why? Why wouldn't you tell me the bill rate? I can, I'm smart enough. I listen to Travel Evolved. I know that there's a vendor fee. Tell me what that is too. Is it 5%? Is it 3%? Is it more? And I can go out and calculate exactly what my taxes are on my taxable income. You guys could do this. You can, you've listened enough of this, and we'll keep teaching you how to do that. So why is it you won't tell me the bill rate? Because I could figure out what you're making based upon what my compensation package is. I don't know if this, this, this picks it up. It's a condenser mic, so it picks up everything. But sometimes when I see the final result, I'm like, I always talk about helicopters flying over there. It wasn't there. So why is it that they won't share that with you? And it's because they don't want you to know what they're making. And I, it's not that I want you guys to be up agency's business, but you should know so you can effectively choose the agency in which you want to work for. It is absolutely a myth that you shouldn't know a bill rate and what an agency's profit margin is because, like I said earlier, what the agency is making off of that pie, you're not, and vice versa. It is a myth. And I, I just look at that sometimes and I just, I mean, I understand in principle, I really do hear people and say, I understand. It's, it's no different than saying, I don't care how much a Pepsi really costs to make and what I'm paying for it. But <laughs> you guys choose, whether it's a Pepsi or a different soda, or a pop, depending on what part of the country you're from, based upon your how much money you're willing to spend and what the taste tastes like. It's not any different. So, yeah, you don't need to know what an agency is making, but you should at least be able to compare what you're making, which will tell you everything you need to know. Next time you're looking at a pay package that somebody puts a meme out there for that you know hundreds of companies have, compare that with somebody else's. That job, not the area, not the state. I've had people say, oh gosh, you know, it's, I'm a PACU nurse and I've seen other jobs in North Carolina paying that much. Yeah, but is it that facility? Compare the same facility, you will know instantly, instantly 
which company has a thinner and which company has a thicker margin based upon what they're offering you for a job that's being posted by multiple recruiters, sometimes within the same agency, the exact same day or days. All right, guys, common miss part one. That's enough for today. It kind of went a little long, but I get heated. This is a good episode. I hope you guys listen to it repeatedly. Hope you share this episode. If you guys do that for sure, share this episode. Sometimes we post these. Uh, we do promotions for Travel Evolve where it has you know me talking about some stuff. Sometimes we'll just put an episode out there. If you like this episode, please share it with other people. Please get people to join our Travel Evolve Facebook group. We're still going to go live, like I say, twice a week. Look for us to go live. If you happen to be scrolling through your phone or playing on TikTok or whatever, look for us there. Look for us on TikTok, and um, we'll be on there. And, and join us on the lives. Join us on the, uh, the Facebook group. I appreciate you guys immensely as always. Have a great day. We'll catch you next time on Travel Evolved.